Over the last couple of weeks, we have been working our way through the sermon series, When God is Silent. The first week, we talked about how important it is to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with God about what we're going through, the the feelings that we have, our our doubts, our, our concerns, our frustration, even our anger is okay and should be honestly spoken to God. We see this all throughout the Psalms, people who are going through all kinds of different experiences, who honestly share what's going on in their hearts and and, and in their minds, and, and bravely giving those things to God. And then last week we talked about how in the midst of our struggles or those moments when it feels like God might be absent or silent, that we aren't alone. That we have a God that Jesus understands what we're going through. He himself experienced all kinds of of temptation and and struggle in the midst of the, the, the ministry that he had to do, and in particular on the night in which he was betrayed and was arrested and tried and then ultimately crucified. Jesus understood what it, what it felt like to be pressed, to be crushed, to be overwhelmed by what was going on in our lives. And the promise that we have before us is that we don't go through those things alone. We don't go through the valley of the shadow of death by ourselves. So when we find ourselves in the midst of, of difficult circumstances or when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves in our own valley of the shadow of death, so to speak, Jesus is right in the middle of that valley, walking that path right alongside of us. And so thus far, we've learned the need for us to be honest and open about where we're at and the fact that Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never abandons us in the midst of whatever we are going through, good or bad. Jesus is always there and he's always present with us. And today, we're going to try to make sense of a great mystery. We're going to take a crash course in the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to struggle a little bit with the question of why. Why do we struggle? Why do we sometimes feel like God is is silent? Why do we go through the things that we do? We're going to take a look at and try to understand at least a little bit that why question. Because it's a question that always comes up, isn't it? It's a question that we are all very, very familiar with. One that we've all struggled with, tried to come to terms with in the midst of difficult circumstances in our lives. I know I've asked the why question countless times over the course of, of my life, particularly in the in my years of, of, of faith. I've asked that question a lot, and I've even asked that question very recently. Uh, I know I've shared with some of you, but I've not shared with all of you that 
for a number of years, my dad has been struggling with dementia. He was diagnosed in his mid-50s with early-onset dementia. And he's been battling it now for 12-ish years. And it's only in the last few years that things have gotten really bad with him. And it's harder and harder and harder to, to visit with him because there's just there's less and less of him there. And so my dad has been a man of faith for a number of years. He's been a wonderful father, great husband. He's just been as any as much as anybody can be a stand-up dude. And so when I look at what's happening, when I, I see what he has been struggling with and how my mom has been struggling struggling along with him as his caregiver. I've asked a lot of questions of God and wondered a lot why this has been going on. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us when we find ourselves in similar circumstances. The, the natural inclination for us is we just, we just want to understand. We want to know why. We want to know why we're going through what we are going through. But I'm going, to be, I'm going to be painfully honest in these moments this morning. And that's a little bit hard because as your pastor, I want to be able to give you very nice, clear-cut answers. I want things to be easy. I want things to be crystal clear. I want to be able to give you exactly why bad things happen. I want to be able to tell you exactly why God allows the things that he does. But the truth is, there aren't easy answers. It's not something that I can just say, oh, well, it's because of, of this, this, and this. There aren't easy answers to that question. And I, I'm being honest, I don't have the capacity to be able to explain it all. Nobody does. If somebody comes to you and says, I can tell you exactly why all bad things happen, run, run away. Because I promise you, they cannot tell you in the fullness or in fullness why we experience all the things that we do. Nobody can fully explain it. The Bible doesn't even fully explain it to us, other than to suggest that there are just some things in life that are beyond our scope of understanding. There are just some things that happen to us that we can't fully comprehend or grab a hold of. There are just going to be things that happen to us in our lives. Try as hard as we might. Read as much as we want, pray as much as we want, get into the Bible as much as we want. That we're just, they're going to escape us. We're never going to be able to fully comprehend the why. The Bible doesn't even fully explain it to us. A famous example of this is the book of Job. Essentially, Job loses pretty much everything in his life. And he's got these friends and his wife who spend the majority of the book of Job trying to explain to Job why this, these things have happened to him. Now, 
in all honesty, his wife and, and, and his friends are trying really hard. They're doing their best to make sense out of a situation that, that, that feels and seems senseless. We often sort of decry Job's friends and his wife, and rightly so. They get some things pretty backwards and messed up. But these are people who are just trying to do their best to, to be a good friend and to be a good wife, trying to help Job understand when they can't fully understand themselves. And so these friends and, and, and his wife try to help him make sense of all of this. And by the end of the book, God shows up at, at Job's demand, and God doesn't explain anything. He simply communicates to Job in very clear and uncertain terms, I'm God and you are. And we don't always like that answer, do we? We don't love that, I'm God and you are. The book of Job, as much as it is that we turn to it for help and comfort in the midst of difficult situations, and we should certainly go there when we're feeling the weight of the world upon us, it doesn't fully explain ever the why, at least to Job, the why of what had happened. It's an exercise in learning to trust God regardless of the circumstances. It's an exercise in, in, in trying to communicate that, that there are just things that are beyond and above us, that only God can fully grasp, that only God can fully comprehend. And that at a certain point, we have to stop asking why and just trust. Goodness gracious, is that hard sometimes, isn't it? To lay down the why and simply just trust to God's goodness and to his wisdom. And that's what Job is ultimately communicating to us. There's a lot of theological things. There's a lot of things that go on in the book of Job. But at its core, it's really communicating our need to trust that God is good and that God is wise wise, regardless of what circumstances we might find ourselves in. And the Bible, overall, isn't super interested in answering the why questions for us. It just isn't. As much as we would love for it to do so, the why questions don't tend to get answered. And it doesn't seem like God is as interested in answering that question for us as he is in answering some other questions. So all that to say that I don't think anybody has truly come up with a sufficient answer that pleases everyone when it comes to the struggles that we face. There's a mystery at work. It doesn't mean that we should stop trying to understand. It doesn't mean that we should stop trying to, to grasp what's going on and why it's going on. But it does, I think, suggest that at a certain point, Inevitably, inevitably, we're going to come to that point where we're just going to have to say, God, I trust you. Or I don't. And we move on from there in whatever direction we see fit. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it says this. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God works on a very different level than you and I do. All-knowing, all-seeing. We only ever get a piece of the picture. We only ever get to see a part of what's going on. But God sees the whole picture. He knows all of what's going on. He understands the why of, of, of how things are getting weaved together. And that's where we have to start when we start thinking about asking that question why. We start with understanding that God sees a different picture than we do. It doesn't mean that the, the pain we experience is less or the circumstances that we are, are facing aren't difficult. It doesn't mean that, that the, the feelings that we have aren't, aren't valid. It simply means that, that, that God has a different vantage point than we do about our circumstances, about our, our struggles, about the, the pain that we experience. He sees something wholly different because he is infinite and we are finite. He sees something wholly different than you and I do. Even if you put all of the brain power in this room and those folks watching at home online together, we would still not be able to, to come to an understanding in the way that God understands. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Which brings me to Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I'd invite you to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery wherever I look? I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Man, I don't know about you, that, that sounds a whole lot like right now. It sounds a whole lot like what we struggle with, not just in the United States, but sort of all around the world. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet, as we see from these first verses, who looked around and he saw violence and injustice. He saw all kinds of brokenness all around him. And he, he goes to God and he says, God, when are you going to fix this? When are you going to take care of this? Probably, again, some questions that we have asked looking at the world around us. 
when we look around and we see all the brokenness, I'm sure some of us at some point have gone to God and say, how long is this going to keep going? How much longer do we have to wait before you fix it? Habakkuk is many, many, many years before us taking his struggles to God openly and honestly as we talked about before. Not sugarcoating anything. Going to God and saying, this is so messed up, Lord. We need you to fix it. And throughout the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk and God go back and forth. After these verses... God comes to Habakkuk and says, listen, I got a plan. It's a plan you're going to really, really hate, but I got a plan. God's plan is that he's going to raise up the Babylonians to come and punish Israel for all of these things that Habakkuk sees going on. And Habakkuk says, wait a second. God, you you are not a fan of of." the violence and all the stuff that that Babylon has been doing as it continues to grow as an empire. And Habakkuk's sort of taken aback that God's answer to the wickedness of of those that are are in his country is that another country is going to come just as wicked, maybe more so, and is going to take them into captivity. And Habakkuk is struggling with this. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand why God would operate in this way. And so he goes up onto the watchtower and he says, I'm just going to wait for you to explain this. And God doesn't necessarily tell Habakkuk anything about the why. As you read through this, you find that God basically says, I'm going to punish Judah. But then eventually the uh, the Babylonians are going to find their punishment as well. I'm not going to leave them unchecked either. This is all part of a much bigger, grander plan than you are aware. And so Habakkuk, as they go back and forth between Uh, As Habakkuk goes back and forth with with God about this, Habakkuk ultimately comes to this conclusion that we see in Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 16. This is part of of Habakkuk's prayer after he and God go back and forth for a while. After God sort of explains what his plan is. Again, bear in mind, he doesn't explain the why. He simply lays out the plan, the what, for Habakkuk. And Habakkuk responds in this way. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. So Habakkuk's response is that, one, he's sort of terrified. Because he knows ultimately what he's, he and his people are going to have to endure. He knows it's going to be painful. He knows that it's going to be a downright horrible and awful experience when his people go into captivity, when they go into exile. He knows that this is not a good situation. But he also understands that God is in control. He also understands God's sovereignty. He also understands that God is good and that he has a plan. And that whatever he has to endure, whatever his people must endure, that he will rejoice and be joyful in the God of his salvation. He goes through this list of, of things fig trees being barren and no grapes and olive crops failing, which would be disastrous. The fields are empty and barren, flocks dying, even in the midst of the most horrible things that could happen. Habakkuk chose to trust in God's goodness. He chose to trust that God was the God of his salvation. He trusted that God would make him sure-footed as a deer. He trusted in what God's plan was and what he was doing. While the Bible doesn't often tell us much about the why we experience the things that we experience. Again, when we look at Job, when we look at Habakkuk, when we look at a variety of other places in Scripture, the why is ultimately not super clear. But the Bible does affirm time and time and time again is that God is good. The Bible affirms this over and over and over again. God is good. And when we look back on our own lives, when we look back on the faith that we've had and, and the different ways that God has impacted our lives for the better, we can also testify to the goodness of God. Again, not to negate the difficulties we've had, not to negate the, the hard moments of our lives, those, those moments where he's felt far away. Not to negate those things. But when we look at our lives honestly, I mean truly, truly honestly, I think most of us can affirm the goodness of God as well. As I look and think about my dad's dementia, again, as I've said, I've asked a lot of why questions. There's a lot about it that I don't understand and that I get frustrated over. A lot of it. 
But here's what I have learned and continue to learn in the midst of it. God continues to give strength even when it's difficult. He continues to get me through those difficult visits. Those moments where it's clear my dad isn't my dad anymore. God continues to strengthen my mom in the midst of the day-to-day care. She, he continues to fill her heart with love in such a way that she doesn't see the work that she does as a burden, but she sees it as a means of service. Service to God and service to Him. I've watched and struggled as my kids have watched and struggled with the fact that he doesn't really recognize them and hasn't for a while. And yet I've I've seen the compassion that has grown in my kids' hearts as they've watched him struggle. God has grown a sense of compassion and empathy in them through this. Again, this isn't to say that this this isn't hard stuff. It is. But if we're willing to look, if we're intentional about looking, we can see the goodness in the, in the hands of God at work in even the most dire and difficult situations. I wouldn't wish the experience on anybody. But I continue to see God's good hand at work in the midst of an impossibly difficult circumstance. Which brings me to our main point this morning. Our main point is this. In the midst of suffering, in the silence of God that we might experience, we can trust that God is good. The Bible confirms this. Our lives confirm this. The lives of others, the testimonies of others confirm this. God is in fact still good in the midst of our suffering, and in those moments where it feels like God is silent. And our life change is this. If we feel like God is distant or silent, or if we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, we need to have faith, trust that God is good. And I get that that's sometimes easier said than done. Believe me, I do. Alan Emerson says, There is hope, but that hope will not invalidate your pain. The pain we go through, the suffering that we go through, it's real. It's very, very real. There's no doubt about that. But there is still hope in the midst of that pain. Hope doesn't invalidate our pain and suffering. Our pain and suffering are an inevitability. At some point, we are going to experience it. It's just the reality of being a human being living on this planet. But our suffering and our pain doesn't invalidate God's goodness. And we can have hope because God is good. We can have hope Because God is wise. 
think why. As much as it's sort of our natural inclination to ask the question why, I think why is more often than not the wrong question for us to ask. doesn't mean we shouldn't ask it from time to time, but I don't think why will get us very far most of the time. Again, as I said at the beginning of this, I don't think that anybody can fully grasp the why of, of, of any circumstance. I just don't think it's a reality, and I don't think the Bible clearly spells it out well enough for us, at least in our well enough for us to be able to fully understand but I think the more fruitful, the more helpful question that we should be struggling with isn't the why of what we're experiencing, but it's whether or not that we believe that God is good and wise. I think that's a more helpful question for us to ask. Not to discount the why, necessarily, But if we're able and willing to ask the question, is God good and wise? Then that gives us a foundation for our next steps in the midst of circumstances that are rough. It gives us next steps for us. If we don't believe that God is good and wise, then that gives us the freedom to be able to walk away and just to say, I'm done with it. Now, I'm certainly not advocating for that position. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Because I do believe that God is good and wise. I don't always understand Him, but I do believe that He is good and wise. And if we believe that God is good and wise, that becomes a starting point for us to move beyond the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Why tends not to move us forward? Why tends to keep us stuck? When we're consistently asking why, it keeps us stuck from ever moving forward. It keeps us from being able to move beyond where we are at. But asking the question, of ourselves. Do I believe God is good and wise or not? And if I do believe that He is good and He is wise as the Bible confirms and as our lives and our testimonies and each other's testimonies confirm, then it begins to allow us to step forward saying, gosh, this doesn't make sense to me, Lord. I don't understand it. And this is, this is immeasurably painful but I know that you are good. I know that you are wise. And I'm going to trust you in this. Again, it doesn't discount the pain. It doesn't discount the valley of the shadow of death we find ourselves in. But it allows us to take a step forward. It allows us to be able to say, this situation makes no sense. It's beyond me, but I'm going to trust you. No matter how painful, no matter how much of a struggle, no matter what happens, I'm going to move forward trusting to the plan. Trusting that you 
have something beyond what I can see in mind, trusting that you have something above my capacity to understand. Again, remembering that God tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. If we can trust him, if we can put our faith in him in that way, it allows us to begin to heal on some level. Not to say that the healing will be instantaneous, because it won't. Every once in a while, the God might work in that way, but generally, the healing process is a process. It takes time. But we can begin that healing process when we can put our faith and can put our trust in his plan, which is beyond our capacity to fully grasp and understand. As much as I would love to be able to answer the question of why, as much as I would love to be able to explain it to you, I just, I can't. Nobody can. Doesn't mean we don't try. Doesn't mean that we don't work through to try and get some sense of, of meaning in that way. But again, I think the better question than why is whether or not we believe in God's goodness and his wisdom and ultimately his love for us. Because if he loves us, as the scriptures tell us, he will work everything out for good in our lives. And it might seem impossible in those moments, but God will work everything together for good in our lives because he is good and he is trustworthy. Again, I, I, I want to tell you, I want to be able to tell you why the things happen the way that they do or why we experience the circumstances we do, but I can't. But I can tell you this. From my own experience, from what I read in the Bible, God is good. He is wise. And his loving, or his love for us is unmatched. It cannot be shaken. And that is good news to me. And I hope that on some level it is good news to you as well. We're going to continue to use the prayer that we've been praying over the last couple of weeks to close out our sermons. Again, there are copies out on the resource table. If you'd like to take a copy of this prayer home with you, I would invite you to grab it. You can hang it on your fridge, in your bathroom. You can you know, take a picture of it and screenshot it so you can have it in your phone if you want. And I think this is a helpful prayer for us. From St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola. Would you pray with me? Oh Christ Jesus, when all is darkness and we feel our weakness and helplessness, give us the sense of your presence, your love and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power so that nothing may frighten or worry us. 
for living close to you, we shall see your hand, your purpose, your will through all things. Amen.